Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Veth, and as always, I'm joined by Andrew in Siberia. And Siberia looks snowy, Andrew. It looks cold. I mean, what's this white stuff on the ground there? You sent me a picture today, and it was like, what, two or three feet of snow on the ground? Uh, <laughs> Siberia is very Siberian today. That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah, the snow has fallen completely, making utter chaos on the roads. The only good thing is I've got my winter tyres on. Not many other drivers have, and they're skidding all over the place. But um, but anyhow, it's not too bad. Um, I've got six more months of this, so I've got to I've got to embrace it for what it is. But otherwise, I'm I'm good and glad to be joining you guys. Six more months of this? Oh man! That's... Oh, maybe five. Maybe five. <laughs> <laughs> it's off my travel list. Anyways, Tim, snow. We don't have that issue, at least not till maybe never. So how is it going over there in Vancouver? Good, good. Like yesterday was a beautiful day. We have sun, Andrew, so it was pretty warm. You can actually wear shorts. It was an odd day, no rain, but uh, still uh, better than snow, better than in Siberia. Yeah, we had 19 19 degrees, 90 degrees plus on the island yesterday. It's definitely really nice. Oh, yeah. Well, I kind of. Kind of sucks for you, I guess, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys just pipe down on the whole 90 degree stuff. It's really making me jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, there, there's a lot of lot going on, um, you know, in Russian football, but most importantly, also in Ukrainian football this weekend. And um, to talk to us about this, I brought on a special guest who's recently joined the Football Grad Network, Kalem Senyuk. Kalem, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's really good having you on. You watch this Ukrainian derby. And I mean, these days, this Ukrainian derby goes on. Well, we have four versions of it pretty much, right? Because of the new yeah. the new league schedule and the, the change of the format with the, the championship round and the um, relegation round towards the end of the season. So, you know, this is the, this was the second one. And uh, Dynamo, Dynamo Kiev won the first derby rather surprisingly. But this game was rather a dull affair, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit lackluster. I mean, attacking-wise, both teams were lacking, and especially for the hosts in Kiev, um, they were struggling in attack, with, especially with some injuries, which is starting to become a problem, obviously, without Yarmolenko. Yeah, you wrote a piece on that, didn't you, um, for footballgrad.com, yeah. and the the changes that Dynamo Kiev have undergone under new management. And there's a huge split, really, between um, people saying, well, he's doing a good job and people saying, well, he's not doing a good enough job. So he's he's already quite under a lot of pressure, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a result of Kiev refusing to play in Mariupol, Mm -hmm. they're one game down in the league, but they're already seven points behind Shakhtar. So there is becoming a bit of a distance already, which is slightly worrying from Kiev's point of view. Yeah, and it's basically a repeat from last season. Andrew, you, you, um, you and I have spoken about uh, the Ukrainian league quite a bit, and it seems like that you know, first of all, there's a huge gulf between um, Dynamo Kiev and Shakhtar Donetsk on top of the table yeah. to the rest of of the the league. Um, but it seems like it's pretty much just a two horse race now, right, Andrew? Pretty much. I mean, for, for most outsiders, you, you're looking in on, on Ukrainian football. There's two names that you think of, um, which is those two. And 
I don't really know what the overall answer is to make the long-term competitiveness of the league um, better. But Shakhtar are looking stronger for me this season than they have um, the last couple of seasons. And, you know, I mean, it's a, a one of the interesting factors for me was um, was the naturalisation of Marlos. And I'm just wondering whether this is something that's going to happen more with some of the other Brazilians in Shakhtar's squad. Uh, and if so, will it allow more foreigners to come into the league? Is that a good or a bad thing? I, I don't know. But um, the 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 rest of the league has got, um, well, I, I, I don't know how to put it, a lack of star quality, perhaps. I don't know what the answer is to, to solve that or, or whether it is something that should be solved. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'm just pleased to see Shakhtar doing well um, in European competition because I think in the end that that is how they, the league is going to improve in the long term simply because the profile will be higher and, and there's a more chance of getting higher quality players in. But um, yeah, the, like you mentioned, the, the, the dull draw suits Shakhtar infinitely better and uh, it just makes their life more comfortable now. So I can't really see much changing um, at the top of the table. Yeah, I think one of the big issues really is that, you know, Shakhtar Donetsk are not, haven't really bought anyone. The last player that they signed was Blanco Lishuk and um, Dinamo Kiev. You have a team there that um, as of the spring has seen huge financial problems because of the the private bank being um, you know taken over by the state and that's where the um, Sukas brothers, the owners of Dynamo Kiev have most of their financial assets. So you had you had seen a little bit of a you know you see that Dynamo Kiev is not a team that's investing very much anymore and Yamolenko their big star name, one of the biggest stars in the league, is now gone to Borussia Dortmund, which I personally thought was a good move for him and an important move for him and Ukrainian football to have someone like him play at Borussia Dortmund, you know, a team, one of the top 10 teams in European football. But Kalem, um, you know, that means there's a huge strain on a side like Dynamo and it seems like that, you know, fans have these big expectations, but Katskevich He's basically rebuilding a squad without having any um, financial assets, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, um, financially, they're slightly struggling and they're starting to have to rely on the youth setup and the youth system um, in order to keep progressing further. And obviously, the, the new manager's come in and he's got limited resources. Um, to make the team better and fill the void left by Yarmolenko, who was obviously their creator-in-chief up top. So I think for Kiev at the moment, they're in a bit of a interesting situation in how they progress forward and keep up with Shakhtar, really. Yeah, do you think they can keep up with Shakhtar in the, in the medium term? I think term it's even? going to be difficult. Uh, it's going to be challenging because obviously Shakhtar have got their owners they're like the highest billionaire in Ukraine. She's got the financial backing to support his team. But Kiev, I think they're going to struggle competitively. I think, as um, was said before, year it's probably their best chance of gaining money as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the question. I mean, Tim, we had the, we start the news now that um, Shakhtar's manager. Um, Shakhtar's manager has been linked with the 
Everton job. Um, you know, given of what we've seen from Schachter in the Champions League, what do you make of this rumor? Well, it's an interesting rumor, uh, but to be quite honest, I don't see like I don't have knowledge or any insider's information on 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 that rumor. But I don't think um, you know it will happen mostly because like there's a massive. I know he's. I think you said he was on five million per year or something like that mm-hmm. at Shakhtar. So it's. A, I assume it's a, there's a big payout plus uh, you know like the. Uh, the English league, they like having those already developed uh, coaches with uh, a bit more of European experience, from what I understand. If Shakhtar performs well uh, in Champions League, and they have been performing this year pretty much um, very successfully in Champions League, maybe down the road, but I don't really see at this point just being um, knowing English league a little bit and then knowing that they are slightly more conservative in, in, in terms of, especially in terms of coaches. You might get a player from Ukrainian league, but having a coach, and I'm not sure in terms of his English skill, English language skills. So um, to me, there's a lot of question marks on this rumor, uh, but it's definitely, it should be flattering for him that he is even being considered. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's just based not on the Ukrainian league, it's based on his results in this Champions League, which has been uh, fantastic. You know, Andrew, you follow the, the Premier League probably a lot more than I do. Um, do you think Fonseca would be a suitable candidate to take over at Everton and fix the countless problems that side has right now? Um, in short answer, I don't think he's the right man for the job. Knox is not good enough, um, almost because he's too good. I know it's going to sound strange, but there's even still in 2017, a lot of the English media are still distrustful of foreign managers. Um, I'll use an example, um, Marco Silva, who took over at Hull, and yes, they were relegated, but he played some very good football and almost almost saved their season. And he's now got Watford up into what well, they certainly were in the Champions League places. I don't know if they still are. I think they're fourth or fifth. Um, and even still, he's been, he's been talked about as somebody who doesn't know the English game. The problem with Everton specifically, as far as I can see, is that... I don't really think there are very many managers in the world who are suited to that job right now because the money they've spent, you know, 50 million on Gilfie Sigurdsson, um, you know, 30 million on Jordan Pickford, who'll be very good goalkeeper in the future. But the fact is he's got that price tag around his neck. Um, Fonseca, to me, seems to be a man who doesn't need all of that, all of that money to spend. He's a very good man manager and a, a, a tactically astute manager. Um Whatever to need is somebody who can who can wrap together a fairly disparate group of talented, yes, but overvalued um, and disjointed professionals. And that I, I honestly don't know who the answer is for that. But why would Paolo Fonseca leave? That's my question, really. Um, you know, he's okay. Yes, there is money there, but you, like you say, he's on a healthy salary at Shakhtar. There solidly positioned to win the Ukrainian league. They're doing well in Europe. Um, and his reputation is only going up in Ukraine, whereas in, at Everton, it would only really, I, I couldn't see it getting, getting any better. So I just don't think it would suit him. And I think what Everton need is really just simply a strict taskmaster who in the short term, um, who can come in and wrap them, wrap them up together. Fonseca won't go. I don't think, um, you know, despite all the money that might be thrown at him, um, I just I hope he doesn't go anyway, 
because it would just be a waste for him and for Everton almost. Alan Padu, get him, sign him. Oh, I guess he's going to Dinamo Kiev. Oh, never mind. That's an independent rumor that we're not going to touch. But Caleb, do you think, you know, it's, it's a big jump from Ukraine to the Premier League and on the one hand, but on the other hand, um, Fonseca is now a Champions League manager. He's doing really well at Schachter. What do you take of this rumor, Fonseca to um, Everton? Um, personally, I think he should stay at Shakhtar as well. Um, I think his prof profile-wise, he's going to be better in Ukraine. Like like we said before, um, they're doing well in the league. They're competing well in Europe. And I don't think he will exactly get that with Everton. Mm. And I think Everton needs something else to sort out that situation. And I mean, for personally, I obviously follow Ukrainian football quite a lot, I think. Having that type of manager stay in the league will be helpful for the league going forward as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we'll keep a close eye on that. I think personally that um, Paulo Fonseca will be hard to entice. I've, I follow Schachter Donetsk very closely for quite some time now, and I, I know the the kind of money that is involved. Even now, you know, with the the conflict in Ukraine, the the exile of the club to Kharkiv. Um, even now, the the team has still has quite a lot of resources, and five million euros salary in Ukraine means five million euros salary um, because the, the way tax tax structures work there uh, makes it a lot makes the 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 money after tax um, go a lot further than it does in in Western Europe. So you know his salary um, reflects that. Uh, I personally therefore think that it's it's going to be very hard. Whether Everton need a manager like him, I hear a whole bunch of names that you know are floated around, like Thomas Tuchel, etc. And I'm not sure um, if he can be enticed to go there. But that's that's a story for a different day, another topic, another podcast, guys. Um, I want to go over to Russia, and Andrew. We're never going to hear the end of it, so we're just going to skip all of Oral and not talk about that at all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, I mean, Oral are fourth in the Russian Football Premier League and only three points behind third place CSKA Moscow who are in that Champions League spot. Tim was, of course, joking you might have to go midweek drive to Ekaterinburg in the snow in the winter to see them play Barcelona in the Champions League. Now, tell us, what's going on? Come on. Oh, man, I just, uh, I can't stop grinning looking at that table. Um, you know, this is, it, this, the thing, I'm, the points I'd like to make, semi-serious, I'll start seriously at least. Um, I can't promise it'll stay that way, but I'll start serious. Um, they're there by rights. And, you know, they're a name that very few, if anybody, Uh, if any fans outside of Russian football would have even heard of. Um, and even within uh, Russian football, there aren't many fans. Um, so the fact is that they've got a side which they, they don't have huge names, but they they have recruited exceptionally well. They brought in players like Petrus Bumal, for example, um, 500,000 uh, euros, uh, Cameroonian defensive midfielder. And, It was actually a transfer I didn't see coming, but now I've seen it, I realise how good it is because defensive midfield for Oral is actually one of their strong areas. They've got 
Roman Yemelyanov, who is, what, 24 years old, but alongside him, Archon Fidler is 33. He's, he's getting old. I mean, he's not going to last much longer. Rumal has come in. Uh, he's a young, hungry player. And Oral, don't forget, had Chisamba Lungu, uh, Zambian international for, what, seven, eight years. So they have they have had African players. Um, they had Jean-Jacques Bougoui, who didn't get into the first team. But they do have a history of that. So they brought in inexpensive players, um, young players, Vladimir Ilyin from Kuban Krasnodar uh, about 12 months ago, and, and he's scoring goals. Uh, Eric Bikfalvi, the star name. But, um, you know, they, they, they're knitted together by Alexander Tarkhanov, who for me is, is a genius because he has a very positive outlook the whole time. Despite not having big-name stars, nobody's going to score 15, 20 goals a season. Um, but he's, he brings a positivity to the place. You think of a struggling side or a, you know, a side without extensive resources like Ural Katzenberg, and you think survival is the key. Let's keep it tight at the back. And he has built a side that doesn't concede a lot. But they don't keep many clean sheets either, but they have a positivity about them. He's lighthearted around the place. He's always smiling and he has a good relationship with the players. And for me, it's a success story of man management. That's what I put it down to. Um, you can really feel feel a connection with the side. So um, I'm just delighted, all I can say. And, uh, you know, smaller teams like Spartak Moscow in our wake, they will have to catch up and it'll be hard work for them. So, um, you know, no, good, good, good luck. We'll keep looking down the table. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, was a, that was a good tweet by Oral, uh, official Twitter, when uh, Tsiskanzi needed to draw 0-0, and then they said, uh, it's very nice to see when our competitors lose points. So it's uh, <laughs> ambitious, ambitious, ambitious. Well, but you need ambition, right, Tim? Um, I am. Well, I agree. Uh, <laughs> quick question uh, for you, Andrew. What do you see uh, the role of that in the, uh, I don't know, what's the official status of uh, president, the owner of the team? Grigory uh, Ivanov. Exactly. I don't know what his official role, but he is on the bench. He's the owner. <laughs> he... But uh, how do you see his role in terms of, um, you know, his financial, uh, you know, financial status of the team uh, in terms of recruitment, in terms of, um, you know, the all, overall status of a club? Well, he's uh, he's very much a hands-on owner and uh, official title is president, but he's one of those, and we mentioned this before, actually, um, how it's something that can happen in Russian football where the president will sit on the bench. Um, he, he's, he barks out as many instructions as Tarkhanov himself. So emotionally, he's involved in the club, but financially, Ural are not a wealthy club, um, but they, they don't have... They don't have as many um, they don't have as many debts as a lot of other clubs in Russian football have. I don't know the exact figures, but they're not they're not a wealthy club. That's the main point to make. They're never going to go out and spend um, you know a million two million euros on a player, and that sounds like peanuts considering that's what you know six seven months salary of you know a top player in Western Europe. Um, but that's never going to be a transfer fee for Odal. But in a way. That's what I like. He's a he's a hard taskmaster, and that's what we need. It's a good double act almost. Tahanov, the light-hearted, positive, you know, personal management role, and then you've got Ivanov, who will come down hard on players, but will give them a pass on the back when they need it. So they 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 have that double act, and I see them. That's how I see them. I don't see them as desperately different roles. They they are very much hands-on, both of them. Um, and 
you know, it's 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 good to see. You need that. You need that hard driven uh, attitude. But in terms of the finances, um, I mean, the the World Cup stadium is going to come into play fairly soon. Um, the way that the the reduction in capacity is apparently going to be labelled on the club, they're going to have to cover the expenses of bringing down the stands. I don't know how much that is true or how much they will get help from the local government, but um, that may that may be an issue uh, in the next few months. But for Ivanov himself, it's um, it's he's a good character to have around the place. Yeah, what exactly, you know, when you when you look at his actual role, he's the chairman, right? Because the team does still get all its money from the, the regional government, don't they? Well, they are they are financed by um, the regional government, it's true, like like most Russian clubs are, as we've mentioned before quite a few times. Um, but um, the... I don't know quite how to word it. Ivanov is a character who... You will you, you just respect when you walk into the room, and I think it's his powerful character that is the the best asset for the club. Um, he is is fully supportive of Tahanov um, and his, the way he recruits, but he he does he, he runs he runs the club um, on a personal level very very strictly, and that's that's really where his um, where his role comes in. Um, but you know, I I point out I see him in the mix zone every time, and he's always always in conversation with the local media, with the Ural players when they come out, the young players and the new players who come through. They walk they walk past and they they respect him, they look at him, and they they know that he is the senior man there, um, even ahead of Tarhanov, I would say. Um, but the way that it works, everybody knows how it runs. You listen to him; he's the decision maker. Um, and everybody else gets on with their job, but they know where their roles are. Um, there's no there's no confusion over who does what, who's calling the shots, um, despite what it might look like with him on the bench during games. So it's it's a setup that works very well. Uh, it wouldn't work at every club, but it works at a club like Odell. Well, you know, Andrew, what I like is the fact that there's quite a lot of young Russians in that squad. Um, Chernoff is, of course, on loan from CSKA, um, you know, a defender that we would like to see play a lot of football because, you know, he is one of the few talented defenders that CSKA have in their setup. And I don't want to get too much into CSKA and all the defensive problems and the, the two grandfathers that they have to wheel up on the on a wheelchair <laughs> every game match day. But it's refreshing to see that, to have all these young younger yeah. players. I mean, they have FCF as well, um, who they brought in from Zenit, for example. You know, there's Ilyan. Mm. Uh, a young Ukrainian, Dmitry Bilonok, as well, um, in the squad as well. So there is, there's a lot of young players in there. And um, this is something that I want to touch on a little bit later as well. But that seems like a really good way to go. And we are now 14 games in. And um, I'm going to make you and Tim do a little bit of predictions in a bit. But um, this is not, you know, beginning of the season where you're saying, well, this is just an accident. 14 games and you can sort of look at the table and say, well, this is maybe the way it could go. Do you think this is the way it will go? Do you think they could actually finish in that top four or five? Uh, well, <laughs> well, that's a provocative question, man, because Partak is on the sixth place. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, so my answer is no. Uh, but... Um, you know, I just see them comfortably finishing in uh, the middle of the table, somewhere in the first uh, top eight. Mm. Uh, I don't see, uh, unfortunately for Andrew, in my opinion, I don't really see them qualifying for Europe because um, because 
you know that's the way the Russian football is. Um, but um, it's it's definitely exciting to see a team uh, playing like that. Uh, but just again, just you just need to remember that they're competing against Krasnodar, Spartak, and Rubin, the three teams which are, have very, very uh, strong and fairly deep squads for the Russian league. And I see all those three teams, um, you know, doing better uh, towards the end of the season, uh, just because they have the finances, they have the 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 you know the squad to do that. Uh, but it's it's just really exciting to see. Like I said, what what I like about this team is that there's a lot of young players and the very experienced coach who I remember since I since I was born, since I was started following uh, Russian football in 1992, the first year of the league. And um, we will talk more about um, Yuri Semin in 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 the next part of the conversation. But it just shows that Russia has very strong. Uh, coaches and uh, the coaches from that 90s era, Ramantsev, Tarkhanov, uh, Gazaev, Semin, those coaches are still there. They might have those old school methods, but it just shows that uh, the Russian coaches were amongst the strongest coaches in Europe. Not top, top, top level, but the coaches which know how to do their job and know how to uh, get the result with limited resources like uh, Tarhanov does right now at Ural. Uh, I'm looking at the squad right now. There's no uh, phenomenal, uh, super talented players who can lead uh, the team to the fourth place. It's definitely a group effort. It's the team effort and it just shows. And when that happens, it always the big role is on the coach. Um, so I'm, um, I'm just applauding uh, to Ural uh, right now. Uh, good luck to them in the future. And um, yeah, Andrew, congrats. <laughs> and of course, you're just hoping that they're going to pass them. The Spartak is going to pass them very soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit that. <laughs> so yeah, the, I guess the one thing that's left mentioning with uh, Ural is the, the the stadium issue. We, we kind of slightly touched on it. Um, some of you may have seen it already. The the stands outside the stadium um, that are supposed to be temporary. The we have an article up on that on footballgrad.com. Um, the, the one issue that seems to be now existing is that Ural have this crazy idea that they want to keep those stands for after the World Cup because they want to have a bigger stadium. Um, the reality is really that they don't want to pay for the removal. Um, the, the city doesn't want to pay for the removal. So my guess is that a solution, a political solution will be found for that. Um, likely and very likely to be found for that because otherwise the, it will be very awkward to play in this facility post world cup you know i can't see it happening in the snow and cold i don't think it's going to be a problem in the world cup but after the world cup having stands outside the stadium um in the siberian winter not a great situation anyways i want to move this over to um locomotive and sensational local uh they took first place this match day and we really, really didn't expect that. Sydney, St. Petersburg were on the top. They were controlling this this league table pretty much at will at the beginning of the season with their star-studded squad. But, you know, they've been slipping a little bit lately and Lokomotiv have been just very solid. So Lokomotiv have taken first place. Um, if you look at the table and say, well, why are Lokomotiv first? Uh, the the reason for that is in uh, the Russian league table, the first tiebreaker is um, games played against each other. They haven't played each other yet. So that is taken out of account. And the second tiebreaker is uh, games won um, rather than goal differential. So that's why Lokomotiv are ahead because they have won one, one more game than Zenit. 
But Tim, this is this is sensational. <laughs> it's been since this is the first time Locomotive are first in the league table since two thousand four. Yeah, uh, this I, I also saw that tweet, but I, I think they were also somewhere around the first place when Kuchuk was there a few years back, but uh, they didn't get it. But regardless uh, of that, it's just very very exciting to see. And going back to what I just uh, talked before, uh, to me it's again it's it's the it's the the work of Yuri Somin, who is the club legend, who has. Who is the pretty much locomotive man as as he is, uh, but um, uh, locomotive throughout the years they always had a f- uh, pretty solid squad. It was uh, different versions of the squad uh, right now, but I wouldn't say that right now they have the best squad they had in years. They have a decent squad, a good top uh, club uh, for Russia, but it's definitely not the best squad in the country. But uh, right now they're in the first place, and they've been definitely one of the probably two best teams. Um, in 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 this uh, season, so that just backs up again my in my opinion, um, the my vision of uh, what uh, an amazing job Yuri Semin is doing, um, and uh, we would just have to see. And also we have to remember that their main uh, striker, the the whole game is built with one striker, and it wasn't really working out until they brought in Ari on loan from Krasnodar, and then Ari got this. Um, this this serious injury he he's done his ACL and. Um, Yuri Sermin had to use Jefferson Farfan as a striker. He used, he used, he had to use uh, Miranchuk uh, as a false nine. And now they, in the end of the transfer season, they got Eder on again on loan. So he, it, it wasn't all uh, easy and rosy for uh, Yuri Sermin. He had to make and he had to play uh, to use players out of position. Another point for him is that he has been using lots of youngsters. Both Miranchuk brothers are now pretty much starters. He has been using a, a new player who is Lesov and everyone excited about. Dmitry Barinov also played quite a few games. All those are young players who has been getting minutes, which is also great for the national team. So, I, in my opinion, it's just a great job. Uh, of uh, the of Yuri Sermon, but something that I have to add, and something that I said in the very beginning of the season when we did the spot, and uh, Lokomotiv has been already doing well, is that the way the club is structured, it's railroad, and um, Yuri Sermon, he throughout his times in Lokomotiv, he had some issues with the owners, the way he does things, the way he you know he rules the club. And I heard that there are still um, some room, some, it's not all very happy and friendly between Yuri Sermin and uh, the chairman, Ilya Gerkos, and uh, in general, the, 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 the people who, who manage the club. So, you know, knowing how Lokomotiv is structured and knowing how it is managed through, through the railroads, and there's so many different parts who are involved in to managing the club, um, it could easily fall apart if Yuri Sermin gets in the actual conflict uh, between himself and the the management. Right now, there's nothing really to... Because his results are backing him up. But knowing the way the club is structured, if this becomes an actual conflict conflict, then I really see the locomotive dropping down the table and this will definitely affect the, the, the play. So everything is great right now, as long, in my opinion, as long as they keep um, this relationship between Yuri Sermin and the club management happy. Yeah, you know, that's the, you know local, lo- crazy local, um, locomotive Moscow. They've always been a bit of an odd club, 
I, I just did an article on them on Football Grad sort of um, describing the situation there right now and their um, unexpected rise to first place in the table. And I don't think anyone would have had them there, um, even at this stage of the season, before the season started. Um, but it's it's really interesting because Locomotive were such a gray mouse during the time of the Soviet Union. They were not a big club at all. And then Yuri Semin took them over in uh, 1994. And he was there for 10 years till 2005, I believe. And really built a big club there. Um, you know, a club that is, especially abroad, um, Locomotive are a very, very much recognized brand outside of Russia, more so than even inside of Russia. And, you know, he won seven cups with them. He won the two championships in 2002 and 2004 with them. And it's really interesting how when he left um, for, the, for the Russian national team um, in 2005, how they never were able to really replicate that kind of success. And then he comes back. Well, he was back in 2009, 2010 as well, a period that didn't go quite as well for them as it did the first time. But now as a 70-year-old, he comes back, right, Andrew? And he basically um, is doing, you know, old school locomotive, um, building a squad with, and Tim mentioned it, you know, the two Miranchuk brothers, um, Anton Miranchuk, who wasn't as big of a prospect as his brother Alexei, who's already a national team player. Um, Anton, of course, is now as well, but also Lisov. Um, it's, he's kind of, he's kind of able to, bring in this core of players and really have them work together and outperform, um, basically play better, make the, the team better than the sum of its parts. And that's, that's really quite something remarkable, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I completely agree because you look at, you look at this squad, it's not changed dramatically really since Simon uh, uh, took over. Ari, I thought was a fantastic signing and that was undoubtedly a massive, massive loss. But, um, OK, Eder has come in, but he's only played five games. Yes, he's played well, but has he really revolutionised the side? Um, Farfan, I think, has shown a lot of maturity. Um, but around that, I think the rise of Anton Miranchuk is one of the, the most surprising, in a very positive way, uh, most surprising elements of this revolution. And I would call it a revolution because to, to, it shows it is pretty much all about um, Siemens' man management and tactical nous, because unless you have that unbelievable experience that he has um, and the ability to put across to the players, look, this is the style we're going to play, not just lay it out on the tactics board, but really make them believe it, um, then you're never going to get the success that Locomotive have had. I'm, I'm constantly surprised every week how they keep maintaining this form, because they, they've not really changed dramatically. I'll give another example. Uh, Maciej Rebus, the, the Polish left-sided player who was excellent for, well, what was then Terry Grozny before he left um, for France and then came back. He's not really played as a guaranteed first-choice starter. And even more surprisingly, nor has Vitaly Denisov when he's come back from injury. You know, Tim, you mentioned um, Lisov. Well, you know, to trust a youngster, to know his abilities and to fit him into a style is... Um, is a sign of a great leader. He's lost Choluka, long-term injury as well. He's coped with that, no problem. Um, so That's a big this loss. is the Yuri Semin. It's a big loss, yeah. a big, big loss. 
Um, so effectively, it's the Yuri Seven show. And, um, and I just think it's wonderful to see a guy who's in his 70s and is a legend of a club turning them around like this. Um, you know, as long as they don't take Ural's spot for the Europa League, I don't mind how high they go. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going to let it rest. You said it, and I'm not going to let it rest. <laughs> Europa League. I thought it was Champions League, Andrew. Well, I'll let Tim have... Uh, Tim can have Champions League. I'll Thank have Europa you. League for now. <laughs> it is it is really really tied up on the table and i want to talk about that in in a few moments but before um before we go to our next topic when i did this article a couple of days now ago and describing the situation at locomotive the one thing that stood out to me was um this this is almost a metaphor for where russian football is at the moment um, remember the last time Loco won the title in 2004, or rather in that period where they won their two titles, 2002-2004. Russian football was a very different place than it is now. Um, CSKA Moscow, of course, the investments at CSKA started, I believe, around 2003-2005, um, around that period as well. But um, it wasn't yet the big period of the oligarchs. It was just before that. It was just before... There was a massive influx of money into Russian football. And that really started, you know, with after CSKA won the um, UEFA Cup in 2005. You know, that was around that period when Roman Abramovich, of course, poured in a lot of money um, with that SIPNEF sponsorship contract at CSKA. And then that saw, you know, big investments in Zenit. Um, Spartak at around that time was bought by uh, Leonid Fidun. So that was a huge amount of investment. And then RCD. The Russian railways, they put in a lot of money at locomotive, but that was all kind of after uh, Semin left. And it's almost like a metaphor that, you know, we are now in a period of austerity in Russian football. We will take Senate aside, Senate a little bit of a special case. But when you look at the, the way locomotive are doing this, it's almost old school Russian, isn't it, Tim? It's almost like it was in the early 2000s. Yeah, that's true, because they don't have those massive transfers, like they're not able to spend uh, the amounts which is need spent uh, this um, this uh, f uh, summer. And uh, going back again to just the quality of the coaching talent that, that, that we have right now and uh, we had back then, because all those coaches are still, uh, half of those coaches, which I named, are still working. Uh, Tarkhanov is still there, uh, Sherman is still there. I'm pretty sure if, if uh, Valery Gazaev wanted to still be a football coach, he would have been a successful one. I don't think he would have been, I'm not sure if he would have got a job at the top club, but if he would have taken one of the, let's say, I don't know, Rubin or Krasnodar, uh, they would have been a very successful side. Just just, just that shows the level of coaches we had back then. And uh, those, those experienced coaches know how to build a good team out of... Um, you know, fairly good players, maybe not the best players in the league. And this is, you know, this, that's what coaches, uh, that the chairman was always, like you said, Lokomotiv never played this beautiful football. They always in Soviet time were considered a, a club, uh, sorry, a cup, cup team because they, they were fighting. Uh, their whole um, game was built as a, a, you know, fairly cautious, defensive, but um, aggressive um, side. And that usually works well in cups. That's why they were uh, fantastic and successful in Europe. They made it twice, if I'm not mistaken, to semi-final of UEFA, UEFA Cup and 
Cup Winners' Cup, I believe, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. But again, again, in my opinion, it goes back to the to the to the coach because, like I already said, they they always had a fairly good squad, but like you know, they had Rashimov, uh, Rahimov there. Uh, they had quite a few um, Krasnajan there, and those coaches didn't get the same results as Yuri Shomin has been getting consistently for the past uh, 20 years with a few breaks. Yeah, and I think it's Russian football, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, is undervalued because when you look at the, the success, and you mentioned a few of the, the older guys, I want to put um, Kuba in there as well in that, in that token. And... Um, you, we talked to great lengths at the game pressing podcast about how a lot of Bundesliga sides are going to 3-5-2. Now, we've seen that tactic employed by the likes of Rostov like two or three years ago, you know, and um, I know that management managements and that the Eastern European football is kind of frowned upon by a lot of the football fans in Western Europe. But when you look at the coaching revolution, um, Valery Lobanovsky, for example, in the 1980s and 1990, had a huge, massive impact on how the game changed um, in all of Europe. And I find that you know Russian football is, is very fascinating in a way because um, it has to adapt very differently to its surroundings. Um, and it's a very difficult league to play in. A very even league to play in, so tactic, tactics matter a lot more than it does in other leagues. So you see a lot of tactical stuff coming out of Eastern Europe, out of places like Russia, that then have a massive impact on the rest of Europe. And that whole three-five-two, the way Rostov played, the way Rostov um, that defeat that Bayern had at Rostov, where Rostov basically, you know, um, tactically surprised them. That had a big impact on European football and the way teams in Germany are playing against Bayern now. And I find that interesting. So I think that is something that people kind of undervalue a little bit about the league and about the strength of Russian football or football in the post-Soviet space, especially. There's a lot of very, very, very good managers that are way ahead of the game and really know what they're doing. But different topic now. Guys, Sunit, Tim, um, we were sure Sunit would run away with this title, but look at this. This second. <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, it was 5-1 against Spartak, and now they're second. What happened? Uh, well, in my opinion, it's like another, as, as I expected them, I actually saw the stats recently that uh, at the same point of the season, last year, Zenit with Luchescu, who has been criticized, had two more points than this year, Zenit with Mancini with all the signings with all the money influx this season. So um, the same thing happened last year. They started the season very strongly, and then it went downhill. Well, I obviously hate the, hope the same thing happened this year, and then we'll have the same champion as last year. But uh, just to be serious for a moment, I think it's still it's still a new team with a lot of new players. And like I said, uh, I believe it was last week, um, it's even with the amazing quality they have they still would have to build um you know they still would the players still have to gel and to find what mancini is doing for them um so 
it's it's next uh, next match day. It is Zenit against Lokomotiv, and it's a very important game. Uh, it's this part of the season, and like we were talking last year, it is very important to do well in the first half of the season uh, because, like we said, the, the Russian league is divided in two parts. But because of the World Cup this year, it's going to be 20 games in the first half of the season and 10 games in the second half of the season. And if one of the teams can have a fairly good um, point differential going into the second half of the season, uh, it will be pretty much done deal. So if if it can go as tight as it is right now to the end of the season. We will have just a fire, uh, fire cracking end of the season. Um, but um, Zenit, I don't know. You know, like they've been doing phenomenally in 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 Europa League. They have a deep squad, and um, it's 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 going back again to this uh, comp- um, competitive. Um, Russian League, which we have, because who they lost points against? They lost points against Arsenal Tula and Anjim Hachkala. And, um, you know, that shows, and that's what we've been talking about a lot, in this league, maybe it's not as top five quality, uh, but it's somewhere around there. But the competitiveness of this league is definitely one of the best in Europe, because anybody can win against anybody. uh, All those big clubs lose points uh, against uh, teams like Arsenal, Tula, and Anjim Mahachkala. And even my club does that a lot. Uh, we drew this this match day against just phenomenal Amkar team who was just magnificent. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's I don't think it's going to be that easy for Zenit, um, especially looking at what's going on at this part of the season, given how Lokomotiv is doing, given how other teams uh, will be fighting. So, well, better for the fans of the Russian League. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, Andrew, um, Zenit haven't won in three games. You know, they dropped points to Tula, drew Anshi Mahachkala, and then, I mean, 0 0 against CSKA. That was the top game. You did the preview for that. Um, that can happen. That's not a biggie. But now they're playing Lokomotiv in the next game. Um, we can only really see the title race tightening up even more up on top. Um, so, you know, First of all, how do you see the game going against um, against local? And second, what do you think will that mean for the rest of the league? Well, I think it's a fascinating way that the, the fixture list has thrown this game up right after Loco uh, taken the lead in the title race. But um, I think, honestly, first question and how do we see the game going? I do see Zanit winning this one. Um, Locomotive, as you mentioned, they deserve so much praise and Semin above all. But if I'm being really brutally honest, and this is going to sound very unfair given how how well they've done so far this season, I'm not actually being blown away by a lot of their performances. A quite a few of their games, they've been relatively fortunate. There was uh, I forget the I forget the exact game week it was earlier on in the season. They won. Uh, 1-0 against, I believe it was against Amcar when they were playing badly. Um, they needed a free kick 10 minutes from time to win. Um, then there was, of course, the 4-3 um, result. Um, I won't say more about that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But, but, but it was mitigating circumstances. It, it was a, there was a sending off. They were 3-0 down at half time. You know, they have shown a lot of vulnerability. Um, so they need, they're going to have to be at the best to win. Um, so that's a compliment I can pay to Loco, but I think Zanit will be at the best. Mancini is mm. going to be fuming, absolutely fuming, at having 
dropped the lead in the in the title race, but they they have more resources than Loco. They will be at home, and I think that Loco will. I don't want to say flat have flattered to deceive. Once or twice this season, they have flattered to deceive a bit. You know, they've been uh, they've got the result when perhaps they haven't blown teams away. Um, and Zenit are not a team that get blown away. They were shocked by Arsenal. Um, yes, that's true. Um, but I see them winning that one. What it means for the title race? Well, I think it's just perfect for the title race because for the simple reason it's given other teams hope. We all said earlier in the season how, you know, like you mentioned, Manu, a month or two ago, it was nailed on that Zanit were going to win the title. But now the likes of Tiska, you know, all our season championship challenges like that, um, and uh, yeah, some other teams like Spartak and Krasnodar, perhaps. But um, but no, in all seriousness, the likes of Spartak, of Tiska, even Krasnodar, if they pick up form, they'll realise, well, hang on, Zanita are not invincible. They can be caught. So it's going to make the whole title race really wide open. Um, I think they will win, but if they don't, it'll be even more interesting. Yeah, definitely. And that really brings me to my final point about the Russian Football Premier League before we do a quick preview on uh, what's going to happen next week in the Champions League. Um, we're now 14 games in, and I'm going to give this to uh, give the floor to all of us on this one. Um, given what we have on the table, and I'm going to start with you, Tim. Champions League, Champions League, Europa League, and relegation. What's going to happen? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, let's do it. So, uh, without order, yeah. I would say that Spartak, uh, Tsiska, and Zenit will be in the top three Champions League spots. That's my my that's the way I see it and hope. Um, um, then uh, Lokomotiv, Krasnodar, Europa League. How many? We have two two Europa League places, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Like, well, a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> you get your turn, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, in terms of relegation, um, I see Andre definitely. Uh, so far, they've been the worst team in the league, in my opinion. And um, unfortunately, Skar Khabarovsk. Mm-hmm. That's my prediction. Uh, the only question I have is, is Rubin. And I'm not sure if you know, Rubin will be able to get into those Europa League spots and um, be there. But uh, that's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm debating between uh, Lokomotiv, Krasnodar, and Rubin for Europa League spots. But this is my uh, my my uh, prediction. Okay. Oh, Andrew, you already have and puffed and huffing and puffing over there. Uh, you're not happy oh. with this prediction. Real quick, uh, <laughs> quick summary. <laughs> what do you think? Okay. Well... Champions League, I think Zanitz have got the squad. To, they're definitely one of the top two for me. Um, I think Tisco, I agree with Tim when he mentioned Tisco will make the top three. And I, I don't know, I'm going to have to say Locomotive. So I know it's not imaginative because that's the t- current top three, but Locomotive are showing that they're a well put together side, well managed. I'm, I'm going to go for them as the top three. Um, Champions League two, I the fourth and fifth place, then Spartak for me certainly. Um, I oh god, okay. I'm gonna have to be. I'm gonna have to be honest. As much as I would love to say, I think Odal will make it. I don't think really they have quite the quality and squad to do it. 
So I'm going to have to say, um, I'm going to have to say Krasnodar. I, they, they, they can't be on this run of form forever. They, they haven't been that bad in some of their defeats in their current run. So I think they will turn it around. Uh, unfortunately, I think Oral may well miss out. But um, oh, what is it about this part? I started saying Champions League, then I downgraded to Europa League, and now I'm saying we're going to miss out. It's, oh. I'm getting more pessimistic by the minute. <laughs> Realism <laughs> uh, sets in. Uh, real, real, realistically, I, much as I would love it, I don't think they would I'll quite have the staying power. So I'm going to go Spartak Krasnodar for Europa League for me. And relegation? Oh, relegation, that's a tough one. Angie, I, I have very distinct reasons for hating Angie, and it's entirely because of their manager, Vadim Skripchenko, who has absolutely no morals whatsoever. Um, yeah. I've never forgiven him for the way he lied about his health to quit Oral and then take over Krylia Sovietov. Um, so then to go down, definitely. Skarh Borovsk, I have a sneaking suspicion they are going to sneak out of those relegation places. And I think one of... Um, one of Dynamo or or Tosna may well slip down. Actually, if anything, I think it might be Dynamo Moscow. Um, it might not be a popular view because they're a very mm. you know they're a famous club and everything. But I think Scar are showing such resilience at home that I think they may well just get out of it. So Angie and Dynamo to go down for me. Okay, good. I mean, it's Mano. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking. I, I actually think that Zenit are going to win the title. I think they're just too strong of a squad. Although they have that magic ability to mess it up. I think Loco and Spartak are going to get the Champions League spots. I think CSKA are going to fall out of there. I don't think they're deep enough in the long run. Then um, UEFA Cup, CSKA, um, oh, UEFA Cup Europa League, of course, CSKA. And you know what? I'm going to with the really crazy wild guess. And I'm going to say Ural. And wow. Yeah. Uh, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> and relegation. There's a reason why you're editor in chief, Manu, because yes, you're yeah. a central, smart guy. <laughs> relegation. I I would go along with Anshu Mahachkala. They're just such a mess. And then, whew, then it's hard. I think Skarhabovsk. I think when when we get to that second part of the season with the really quick successions of games. And the travel that they will have to do, do that will really hurt them. So unfortunately, I think Skarhaborovsk will go down as well. But yeah, that wraps up the Russian portion. Now, um, want to bring back uh, Caleb for this one. We want to talk a little bit about the Champions League. And um, Caleb, you Ukraine has one team in the Champions League, Shakhtar Donetsk. It's going really well for Shakhtar Donetsk, and they're playing fair not on Wednesday. How do you see that game going for them? Um, a win there can pretty much, you know, wrap up second place for them. Yeah, we've been performing quite well. Then. Before it even kicked off, when the groups were drawn, I was a bit pessimistic of Shakhtar's chances. Obviously, with Napoli and Manchester City been the favourites to go through, but Shakhtar have done really well. Obviously, they're playing in their exiled hometown, as it were, in Kharkiv against Feyenoord, and I think they've got a really good chance of winning the game um, and possibly progressing further. Yeah, it'd be a, it'd be an amazing result to see them see them go to the to you know the round round of sixteen. I mean, Dynamo was the last team that that did that and. Given you know Shakhtar Donetsk's circumstances, that'd be fantastic. Um, how do you what do you think will be the result in this game? Mm, I think it'll be fairly close. Obviously, Feyenoord are coming away from 
a loss in their league in the derby against Ajax, so they'll be hungry to bounce back against Shakhtar. But I think Shakhtar might come away with victors, maybe a two 0 or a two one victory. Yeah, that's. I I think I personally think they're going to wrap it up, uh, win it, and Napoli did not impress me against Manchester City, so I could see them again dropping all three points, and that would be a massive step for them. Um, Andrew. You've been following CSKA pretty closely in the Champions League. Basel, um, in Basel on Tuesday, they looked horrible on match day three against Basel. What do you reckon uh, is going to happen in this game? Well, it was a very, very, very disappointing uh, performance. Um, the results, obviously, but the performance particularly was disappointing. We both mentioned, didn't we, that we thought Timur Jamaliedinov was to start turn. Um and I think he will feature heavily again. Konstantin Kuchayev may feature too. Um, but I have to be honest, I'm really surprised how strong Basel have looked this, uh, this campaign. Their results against Benfica, that 5-0 was just, I mean, almost came out of nowhere. So realistically, you're going to have to say Siska are, are up against it for this one. Um, I, I think I'm going to have to say it. I think they're going to lose this one. It's just such a shame. It's, such a, it's almost a wasted campaign after that that stunning win away to Benfica. That made me think, okay, they might have a chance of going through. But after after the last game week, I, I don't really see this guy getting a result in this one. Um, I really don't, unfortunately. So I think it's going to be a defeat for this guy and Europa League at best. Yeah, yeah, I would go along with that. I think that Basel, Basel are always a side that can do really well in the Champions League. Um, there's a couple of English teams that learned that the hard way too. But yeah, uh, CSKA once again disappointing Champions League campaign um, but fortunately we do have a bright spot uh, of Russian football in the Champions League and that's your glorious spot Dr. Tim um, you <laughs> defeating Sevilla on match day 3 um, 5-1 I still can't get over this result it's uh, magnificent you know back in Sevilla how do you see that game going it's going to be a completely different ball game isn't it Absolutely. I'm very, very cautious about this game and it's going to be an, an incredibly tough, tough game uh, for Spartak because first of all, Spartak doesn't do well uh, against uh, Spanish teams historically and um, going away to Ramon Sanchez Pizjuan, which is known to be as one of the uh, hottest uh, stadiums in Spain, I'm sure they will be full of uh, revenge um, uh, emotions, the, the, the club. So, uh, I don't see us getting... We, we have to perform another heroical performance to get even a point out of there. Uh, because if we get a point, then it will be, it will be, it will be a massive achievement because then we, we would have a game against uh, Maribor at home. Uh, but to be quite honest, it will be impossible. I, I really give us like 5 to 10% chances of getting anything out of this game. Uh, just given the... You know, the the team we're playing, where we're playing, and just the 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 the, the emotions which Sevilla probably have against Spartak. Uh, optimistic, optimistic as always. I love it, Tim. Uh, <laughs> 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 I just love it. Uh, I I'm actually optimistic. I think you'll get a result, and that will be a massive step towards uh, getting that second spot in the group. Uh, heard oh, it here. Man, I hope you're right. I heard it here. Heard, right. heard it here first. Um, but boys, unfortunately, we're out of time. We're of course going to have the full, all the Champions League previews, Europa League previews are going to come 
come your way on footballgrad.com. So look out at them. They will tweet them out at footballgradlive. Um, so that's that's a big one. That's uh, usually the the first the first ones are usually posted Saturday Sunday. So look out for those. Um, aside from that, Calum, um thanks for being on this pod. Thank you very much for coming on on a short notice. Uh, where can people find you? What you're up to? Um, where can people follow you on Twitter? The, the floor is yours. Um, yeah, thanks for having me again. Just my username on Twitter is Callum Senyuk, S-E-N-I-U-K. And I primarily tweet and talk about Ukrainian football and the Bundesliga. Excellent. Yeah, make sure to follow follow that account. Um, Tim, Rocket from Russia. I'm actually wearing the shirt right now to do this podcast. Nice. Yes. Um, what's going on? What's going on in Vancouver? What's the latest? Oh well, I've I've been busy with all the Rocket from Russia stuff as as always because I'm doing two shows. I'm organizing a show in Vancouver. I'm organizing an away show in Chilliwack. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, it's about hundred kilometers away, and then we're trying to bring. Uh, punk rock to to that area so i have been busy with those two um, pro, uh, projects but then obviously i'm following closely spartak today is the cup game which i'll watch tonight and uh, people can follow me on twitter at russian tim 61 excellent and andrew uh what's going on in your life i, I saw the these 40 times brought out an excellent brazil magazine that's one thing to plug but what else is going on yeah, well, the, the magazine we're very proud of. So yeah, um, head over to the website. You, there's still a few copies left of that, I think, actually, um, but not many. But yeah, I'll be doing some previews as usual for Champions League, hopefully trying to put a bit more optimism than I've shown on this pod. <laughs> but um, other than that, I'm, I'm actually uh, planning a family trip back to, to England. So I'm off to Yekaterinburg, not for football, but for visa reasons um, on Friday. Um but uh, yeah, other than that, it's, it's, uh, these football times I spend a lot of time on there. So um, I've got an article coming out soon um, on the website, um, but uh, yet to finalize everything there. But anyway, that's what I'm up to. Previews mostly. Excellent. Yeah, previews, as I said, they are coming. Um, I've been your host, Manuel Weff. You can find me on Twitter at Manuel Weff. Uh, of course, all my writing, most of my writing um, is on um, our footballgrad.com or footballstart or footballcidage.com and all those can be found at footballgrad live. Well, that's it. That wraps up the show. Until next week, das vidanje. Love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com/cutcable. 
That's sling.com slash cut cable. Set up an installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Today's sponsor is brought to you by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourished by Nature Made is a personalized vitamin regimen that removes the guesswork of selecting supplements that are specific to you. Backed by 45 years of science, delivered right to your doorstep, and costing on average less than $2 a day. Nourish is your one-stop shop for customizable supplements. Visit Nourish.com to get started today. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.